Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Field Trip, written by Zari Kimbo. I will never forget the time a human taught spatial physics in the university. Mr. Crank had been a last-minute hire when our previous professor suffered a mental breakdown when he went over the new FTL engine design. That was a little odd, but he had been getting on in years, and it was not an uncommon thing to happen amongst the elderly staff. I was quite surprised that Dean managed to find someone on short notice. Spatial physics professors are not as common as one might think. The change was welcome since Professor 268 had been notoriously boring. Even more boring than Professor 267. And they were clones. Getting a human professor when they were only just being inducted into the Federation was a bonus. Everyone was interested in what he looked like. I remember hoping that I would not get distracted with his appearance and focus on the material. What a naive fool I was. Week one was originally scheduled to be a useful introduction, but the syllabus net page for the course had been changed to say an orthodox introduction. That right there should have been enough to warn us something was amiss, but since the dean must have been and seen and approved that change, we had no cause for alarm. Everyone was intrigued. Anything new, be it scholarly or otherwise, was a cause for excitement. Week one had the same structure for a millennia. Everyone arrived at the lecture dome an hour early in anticipation. Flash bands were checked with increasing frequency as the scheduled start of the class drew near. Anxious mutterings carried easily in the acoustically perfect room. Tension was at its peak. Precisely on time, Mr. Crank climbed in through the window on the fourth floor. What? He said defensively as the room full of astonished faces. It's faster this way. It's faster to scale the building than take a ramp. The student closest to him asked. Course it is, he answered, slightly irritated. Those ramps just take forever to get up. Climbing in this weak crap you call gravity is easy. No one knew what to say to that. What did you expect? No one had ever climbed the great tree of knowledge from the outside. That was just a helix ramp was for. He strode over to the center of the room and flicked the hollow projector that had been ready for his presentation. Today, you will be getting a hands-on introduction to spatial physics, so pack up and meet me in landing platform 11. Meet you there? You mean you aren't coming with us? Another student asked. Hell no, he said, striding back over to the window and throwing a leg over the edge. I'm not setting one foot on that god-awful spiral if I can help it. But that's on the 11th floor. The window closed and the human leapt up the adjacent branch with incredible ease. In no time, he all, he was gone. 
only the rustling of foliage marked its passage. There was a rush for everyone to gather how things and leave. We wanted to see how fast Mr. Crank could climb up, and no one wanted to miss it. Half an hour later, we found him waiting next to the orbital shuttle, tapping his foot with some reason. I suspected he was impatient because he had enough time to rest from the climb. He hustled everyone aboard and banged a strong fist against the hull. Our confusion was only momentary as the pilot apparently knew that that was clearance to take off. He didn't even sit down. Leaning against the airlock was apparently enough for him to remain secure. All right, everyone, suit up and meet me outside, he said when he filed out into the transit station in orbit. Outside, a student asked. What do you mean by outside? Outside as in out of the airlock. We're going for inspecting the ship I took to get here. That was interesting. So far as anyone could remember, spatial physics had always been a theoretical class. As odd as this was, no one wanted to miss seeing the ship that carried the odd human here. It took a while to get all 40 of us up in protective hard suits, and even longer to cycle through the airlocks in groups of four. The human ship was... Strange, really, but about most accurate description anyone could come up with. It was a ship in a sense that it was metal and had an airlock. Beyond that, it looked like a half an oval with an elongated nose and three wide fins just before the back end. No engine, pontoons, no warp spines, no grand multi-deck frame, no wide observation clusters for curious passengers... Nothing at all like a standard Federation ship design of any sorts. The best that could be said was that it was half a ship. Mr. Crank had us engage our magnetic boots and walk over the surface of the hull to get a feel for her. Whatever that meant, he was so excited to get to the engine he actually disengaged his mag boots and leapt off the hull. Without a tether and onto the dorsal fin just to get there faster. I was certain that if sticking to the hull was not absolutely essential, he would be bouncing up and down on the engine manifold. This was alarming for two reasons. One, standing, let alone bouncing on FTL engine, is universally a bad thing. Number two, it was a simple concave half-sphere with a small hole in the center. Just looking at the alien construct provoked a deep sense of unease. Where were the field-focusing rings? How was the ship supposed to maintain structural integrity without the stabilizer module? This thing looked like an engine bell for a reactive drive. Who's even uses those? This is it, he exclaimed proudly. This is the engine I designed and built with my own two hands. Apparently, it's nothing like what you Federation uses, so this is going to be an interesting class indeed. Mr. Crank, someone asked, what do you mean it's nothing like what we use? FDL engines have been standard for a millennia. Standard is boring, he admonished. Space is supposed to be exciting, a place of limitless potential. I was so badly disappointed to see such a horrible lack of imagination that I just had to build it. You need something to reignite the spark of creativity, because my engine is twice as fast as the Federation-approved standard FDL tech. That floored us. Twice as fast. Unbelievable. 
How is that even possible? Someone else asked. Mr. Crank scratched the helmet for some reason. Ah, that's a bit tricky to explain in a lecture, which is why we're here. You really have to experience it to understand. Feeling it happen doesn't come across in the equations. So when you're saying hands-on, what you really mean is, Mr. Crank gave us a happy grin. Yep, we're gonna take this baby out for a spin. Hey, Arnold, he said, banging on the glove fist on the hull. Hit it. Throughout all of this ridiculousness, none of us had noticed the ship detach from the station and drifted clear of it. We felt a rumble through our feet as unknown processes began to exert their power on the ship. Before panic really set in, we jumped. I say jumped because that was what it felt like. The entire ship leapt beneath us. One minute we were in the black void of space, the next we were uh, somewhere else. All around us was blue, faintly glowing barrier, and outside of that thin barrier was chaos. The fiery tempest that raged outside our thin field put the name perfectly. It was as if the universe was furious at us for daring to break the rules and trying to absolute hardest to kill us all. The longer we traveled, the more ferocious it became until the barrier began to bulge inward from the aft and flames shoot up around us. Cries of terror came from everyone as chaos of nature came closer to rectifying this abomination of a ship and killing all of the blasphemous idiots stupid enough to be on it. Beautiful, isn't it? Mr. Crank shouted over to us, apparently admiring the impending doom. Right now we're flying through a dimension that is, as best as I can tell, comprised entirely out of antimatter. The ship releases ground-up bits of slag and scraps and shockwaves and annihilating matter behind us to push the ship forward. Cheap and efficient, you can get from one end of the galaxy to the other with a few kilos of slag dust. No problem. And that shield is all that separates us from total destruction, I screamed. You got it, he said happily. But don't worry about it feigning. Our electromagnetic field projector is super awesome. That bulging means that we're at top speed now. Super awesome. That's how he described the only thing keeping us alive. Trust me, I'm an engineer. As an engineer, that was not reassuring. Now I understand what happened. Professor 268 must have looked at the design of this engine and gone mad at the fact that anyone could even think of such an insane concept, let alone build one. The dean probably saw the document he was reviewing as proof enough that this crazy human knew what he was about. That was how the replacement was found so quickly. Brand new from FTL engine twice as fast as standard. What a tremendous prestige the inventor would bring to the university if they were to teach. Gods, the bane of every serious branch of engineering is administrators who don't understand the basics. This madness could have been avoided before any one tempted fate. I hadn't noticed until now, but my vision had been getting increasingly stroboscopic. I had taken the pulsing light to be a regular explosion hurtling us forward. Now everything was throbbing. I felt the titanic power, I assumed, the external combustion engines in my bones. You may be experiencing some meta-turbulence at the moment, Mr. Crank said in what I'm sure he thought was a reassuring tone. 
That's completely normal and harmless so long as you don't move around too fast. Otherwise, you get uncomfortable, cause a space sickness. Please keep your limbs at your sides and remain in an upright position for the remainder of the flight. Actually, that was pretty reassuring. Oh, I forgot to mention, he added, don't worry about the radiation. I'm pretty sure it's been fixed. He must have seen our horrified expressions, so he hastily added, I mean, I had the shields tuned so that you won't get blinded by the gamma radiation reflecting off of them. The opacity was off by 4.61% a few days ago. You wouldn't believe the headache they gave me. By the end of all, us were frozen in terror and fervently wishing that we could be over soon. Many of us were prepared to go straight to the dean and demand, before her resignation that is, that Mr. Crank be arrested or, uh, or something. No one would ever use such a ludicrously dangerous engine, no matter how fast it went. Federation FDL drives had been safe standard for thousands of years, and I'd been damned if I'd make sure that it stayed that way. Proven technology and methods had absolutely no need whatsoever to change, if they worked perfectly. I couldn't wait to set foot on solid ground and spend the rest of my life safely on the comfort of my home world. As crazy as Mr. Crank seemed, he probably took into account our stress levels because we dropped out of chaos and back into relative comfort on the black void of real space. I was so relieved to be home that plummeting sensation of dropping was reduced to a tugging sensation in my stomach. I was a jarring lurch backwards that drove the air from my lungs and threatened to yank my eyeballs out of my skull. As soon as we had a breath back, all of us began shouting at Mr. Crank. At first, we didn't notice that we had stopped near a particularly beautiful glass giant and the moon in the early stages of being colonized. Here, the human's energetic self became somber almost immediately. He stared at the spectacular view of the giant's rings in the background and the colony in the fore. He seemed melancholy at the sight. The change was so striking that our protests vaulted and died. He was about to say something, hesitated for a second, and then spoke over the group channel. I'm not sure you would understand the multitude of fascinating alien things my species imagined in the thousands of years we were looking to the heavens. My ancestors started off as nomadic tribes and spread across the world on foot. They were fascinated by the stars, creating myths and legends and origins and gods and warriors. A field of study attributing the movements of the planets and stars to natural phenomena and events in our lives was the center of religions, superstitions, and pseudoscience. It grew more refined and complex for thousands of years. So much importance was given to movement of heavenly objects that it determined the fate of entire nations, changing and guiding the course of history. Eventually, our explorers used them to navigate the huge, treacherous oceans to sail to new lands. The things that they saw always drove them to seek the unknown, to find the final frontier and go where no man had gone before. In the span of a few thousand years, we had explored everywhere we could physically go. Then we started to look up again, this time with a purpose. 
The endless sky of brightly shining stars amongst the void, the points of light to which we had given so much poetic meaning, were open to us now. Less than a hundred years after the first aircraft flew, we could finally escape the bonds of gravity and leave our world. That startling fact explained a few things. In the early stages of human space exploration, all we had accomplished was a few visits to Earth's moon and launching some robotic probes. It took 35 years for Voyager 1 to be the first spacecraft to leave the heliosphere of our solar system. Despite how paltry those accomplishments sound, to us it was a huge deal. We humans, only just now spreading our wings to explore those far-off places of our dreams. He glanced over his shoulder at us. Maybe you'll understand where I'm coming from after you listen to the words of Carl Sagan, a man who inspired me to become who I am today. Mr. Crank lifted his arm and entered a calm command into the pad. On all of our visors, a grainy, long-distance image of a single blue pixel amidst a thin band of light appeared. A voice began to narrate. From this distance vantage point, the Earth might not seem in any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager and hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, Every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in history of our species live there on a motor dust, suspended in a sunbeam. Images of humans were shown living and laughing, playing and dancing. Important historical figures gave speeches to inspire and incite. The brief snapshot of diversity lent a small bit of significance to the dot. The Earth is a very small stage in a very vast cosmic arena. I think of rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that, in glory and triumph, they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Armies clashed, soldiers marched, bombs dropped, and destruction wreaked upon their fellows. Suicide strikes, vast navies, cannons, and explosions. Bases of humans in various colors and ages flickered just briefly, and an atomic weapon detonates. How posturing, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, all challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. 
and our obscurity. In all its vastness, there is no hint of help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Religious figures and devotees preach and worship the higher purpose and power, all of it rendered insignificant in the void. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes, settle, not yet, like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. The dark side of the earth turns until the sun rises over the horizon, illuminating the blue world. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than the distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home that we've ever known. Earth quickly began to recede and then vanish as the camera flew away from it and the star system. Before long, even Sol was lost amongst a multitude of stars as the scale of space continued to expand beyond our ken. We pondered what we had heard. To have lived their entire lives doubting that there was any life besides on Earth was a frightening and terribly lonely thing. It was no wonder that they fought so violently between themselves. There was only so much space for them to share, and a diverse species like humans were bound to have conflicting ideologies. To reach the point where knowledge of the universe became widespread and the technology to search for others that lived in it only to find nothing, that sad, bleak prospect must have given the loneliness and isolation felt by contemplating the distances between stars an even greater magnitude. Add the image of the dot and the loneliness was further magnified acquiring an element of fear from the unimaginably vast void of nothingness their tiny world, a lonely, minuscule oasis of life and safe haven, floated in. It was truly humbling. That was the position we're in, Mr. Crank said quietly, looking at the stars. With such conflict and strife everywhere, with the limitations that we were under, the only way we had to escape solitary confinement was to use our imaginations to invent people and places and things that could exist. Multitudes of stories were told about them. Writers spent centuries inventing fictions, technologies that eventually, for some, became real. They pushed the boundaries at the edges of the universe and beyond with their tales, Multiverses, parallel worlds, and alternate dimensions were explored in our minds. All we had to go on was that our telescopes, a handful of probes, could show us, with the limitations of light speed. All we could do is see the past. Technology at the time limited us extremely dangerous, expensive, and slow methods. Physicists struggled to come up with a way to travel faster than light even as we made plans to colonize our closest habitable planets with primitive chemical rockets. We had a myriad of our own problems on Earth that meant very small budgets for space exploration. 
Missions were planned on multi-decade timescales due to material and funding constraints, and many of them died in bureaucratic triage. Such an enormous obstacle to overcome simply to establish a single colony was inconceivable to me. Chemical rockets? The expense must have been obscene, given how weak he thought our gravity was. The prospect of riding a bomb as the only way to escape the planet made my limbs quake in fear. But that didn't stop us. The words of Sagan inspired us as well as humbled. He was the one who gave millions hope and caused people to reach for the stars. Those words created a generation of people like me. They fueled our desire to travel into the great unknown and sated our curiosity. Limitless imagination was our lure. We would always be looking for what mysterious marvels we thought might be out there. And you, he lowered his gaze to the ship he stood on and shook his head in disappointment. Hands on his hips. You have long since lost the sense of wonder, of curiosity that your forefathers had when they first traveled the stars. When I saw how stagnant the Federation had become, how lackluster your general view of the universe is, how distant you were from your roots. I knew that I had to do something drastic. That is why I built my engine. That is why I came to teach. And that is why I brought you out here the way I did. I needed to shock the half-dead heart of the Federation and get a beating again. If you still don't understand, listen carefully to the words that fed our insatiable curiosity. He said, tapping his display once more. Try and put yourselves in our place. The screen goes black, and a statement that was flowing video of recreations of humans' own star system prefaces the video. It begins with a view from space of the surface of Earth, banning up to the starry night sky. For all the material advantages this sedentary life has left us, edgy, unfulfilled, even after four generations in villages and cities, We haven't forgotten. The open road still softly calls, like a nearly forgotten song of childhood. A primitive ship relying on centrifugal methods of gravity leaves Earth orbit. Then, as a mass of cargo bay doors open, a single human drifting inside is treated to a spectacle view of the massive, swirling red storm on the surface of a planet. We invest in far-off places with a certain romance. The appeal, I suspect, has been meticulously crafted by natural selection as an essential element in our survival. Long summers, mild winters, rich harvests, plentiful game. None of them lasts forever. Your own life, your own bands, your own species might be owed to a restless view, drawn by a feeling that they can hardly articulate or understand to undiscovered lands and new worlds. A station hangs above a small moon, a human drifting alone amongst the tumbling rocks of an asteroid ring, a small tram traveling slowly down a shaft of space elevator, carrying cargo to a small settlement on a red planet. Upon that planet, a starship flies slowly over the barren landscape, ferrying people and supplies. Herman Malville, in Moby Dick, spoke of a wondrous in all epochs and Mediradians. He said, 
I am tormented with an everlasting itch for things remote. I love to sail forbidden seas. A few humans pause to admire the sunset from the surface of another planet. Fragile structures and habitats cling to the asteroid and ships line up, waiting to dock. Green-covered land, water, and clouds cling to the inside of the cylindrical world ship. Tiny figures track across the icy surface on the dark side of the moon, dwarfed and lit by the swirling stormy bands of atmosphere of a gas titan. Humans with wings strapped to their arms swoop and soar in dense atmosphere and low-gravity planet. A group of suited figures takes a turn leaping off the dizzying high cliff, drifting slowly downwards on the ultra-low-gravity moon. All of it spoke of a people determined to explore every inch of their home system, exulting in a liberating freedom to do so. Maybe it's a little early. In the distance, an airship slowly makes its way across the tumultuous sea of towering cloud formations. Maybe the time is not quite right yet. Dominating the sky behind it is the sunlit rings of the gas giant. But those are the worlds, promising untold opportunities. Beckon. As the camera pulls back, a human wearing cold weather gear and breathing mask is revealed standing on the deck of another ship, admiring the view. Silently, they orbit the sun. Under the faceplate reflecting the rings above the respiratory mask, her eyes crinkle with a smile. Waiting. The screen disappears, and suddenly, our own very similar view took on a new light. Above, a new colony. I stood on the ship just like that last human. I smiled as her wonder and joy bloomed in my own heart. New worlds to be found. New beautiful vistas to appreciate. I felt it. I felt it pull the final frontier inside me. The determination to never leave home again was a forgotten memory. I could see it in the faces of my fellow students too. It felt like we were all on a journey together, exploring the unknown wilds of space. Can anyone tell me when the Federation cartographers built the last empty space of the galactic map? Mr. Crank asked the group. The euphoric feeling was banished by a sickening reality. Almost 1,700 years ago, I said numbly, answering by rote. That's right, Mr. Crank said softly. That's how long ago those last explorers lived. Maybe now you can imagine the tremendous, heartbreaking disappointment we felt when we found no stone left unturned. Humans are natural explorers. Our curiosity drives us to go strange places and try new things that no one ever thought possible. The things we had dreamed of for so long, the majesty and mystery, all of it has been rendered mundane. You're so used to space travel that it's become old hat. You don't even think about how amazing it is to travel faster than the speed of light. I bet you don't even look out the window when you're in FTL. The magnitude of what he took for granted was a grievous insult to our ancestors. They had fought and risked and traveled so hard, that so much and so far to get us here. And how did we reward this? We forgot them. 
Those brave, intrepid souls and their grand epics were so much dust old history books. How would they feel to see their accomplishments treated with such indifference? In their day, they would have been the most famous people alive. Everyone would have known their name. They would be admired as idols and hailed as heroes by all. It would have destroyed them to learn what we have become. How quickly had the novelty of charting the last bit of unknown space worn off? How long had it taken for us to forget that noble explorers? How could we consider ourselves worthy of being their descendants if we couldn't even remember them? As if he was listening, my thoughts, Mr. Crank oddly asked us for the most shameful question of all. Why have you stopped? That was not an easy question to answer. None of us had ever considered it until now. Because there's nothing left to explore, a tentative voice called out. Mr. Crank turned sharply to stare at the speaker. God of God, the speaker answered, Are you... are you serious? Yes, the uncertain reply came. Are you telling me that those other galaxies out there are just pretty lights? You've had 17,000 years to get to the next one, he said angrily. What the hell makes you think that there isn't anything new to see? It was a slap to the face. No one had thought of that. We just lived our lives where we were. Life was comfortable and almost never stressful. Why make it harder? Everyone in class was only taking it because they wanted to be FDL qualified mechanic engineers. We hadn't ever considered anything beyond what we were taught. Mr. Crank surveyed our stricken faces for a little while. What he saw hardened his resolve. That is why I came, he said, stabbing a finger at the ship. I'm the man who wants to help you recapture that lost sense of adventure your ancestors had had. The universe is an unimaginably huge place, and you've forgotten that. When we saw the pale blue dot, he said, turning away, we thought, wow, the solar system is a huge place. He mimed, exaggerating surprise at the view. Then, whoa, there's billions of other star systems in the galaxy, and there are trillions of other galaxies. He took a sudden step back from the enormity of the idea. That blew our freaking minds, he said, turning back to us. In the incomprehensibly vast, unknown, full of amazing things, just waiting to be discovered. He shook his head sadly. Carl Sagan and your ancestors would have just been heartbroken as I was when I saw what you have become. I don't know why you stopped looking outwards, but that needs to change. He was right. Biography excerpt from Thomas Poulin, leader of the first expedition to the Andromeda Galaxy. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.